On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking plenty about the Patriots and their decision to start Mac Jones over Cam Newton. We'll also get to their decision to release Cam Newton and just talk about what that means for the team the rest of the season. We'll also take a look at the initial 53-man roster for the Patriots and where there might be strengths, where there might be weaknesses. I'll get into all that. We'll also get into what the Patriots practice squad will look like next season, as well as some players that may begin the season on injured reserve. We will also get into some thoughts about the Patriots schedule, take a look at their first few games, maybe take a look at games that may be tough and games that might end up really being, you know, deciding games in terms of playoff seeding. Uh, We will also get to some news and notes from around the NFL as well. Um, And then we will get to an interview with um, Assumption lineman uh, Trenton Wright, one of my good friends. We'll get to that interview. It's really uh, good doing an interview with him this week, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. So uh, after, we will get to the Red Sox, talk a little bit about the uh, struggles the Red Sox have had, specifically with COVID. Um, you know, they're kind of trying to stay above, above water at this point, so we'll take a look at the standings and see how they're doing as they have some key home games coming up. Uh, We'll also take a look at Kyle Schorber, the Red Sox, um, one of their additions at the trade deadline. Take a look at how well he's been playing um, since coming back from his hamstring injury. We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around Major League Baseball as well. Uh, We'll also take a look at the standings, as I just mentioned, um, and where the Red Sox stand and where other teams stand as we are um, approaching the final month or so of the Major League Baseball season. Then we will get to news and notes from around the NBA and the NHL. Not really a lot of Celtics and Bruins news specifically, but there is some news from each of the sports. We'll get to uh, both of those things, and then we will get to uh, talking about college football, talk about week one. There were some games last weekend, but the majority of the games will be going on um, this weekend on Saturday, so we'll take a look at some uh, key games that could have serious implications for Uh, the college football playoff later in the season. We will also then get to a little bit of soccer, talk about the revolution. Uh, Carlos Heel is very close to returning, may return uh, tomorrow. Most likely you'll see him in the next game, though. Um, And then we will also talk about the U.S. men's national team. They start qualifying tonight, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll get to the WNBA as well. So let's go. And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is not your average Boston sports podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And today there is plenty of Patriots, plenty of football stuff that we're going to get to today. Uh, But first, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can listen to us 
on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That would uh, greatly be appreciated. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at the Sports Guy 97 if you're interested in any of that. So uh, without further ado, let's just get into it. Um, it's been a very interesting last couple of days for uh, the Patriots as they've made you know, roster cuts and have, you know, made an, an initial, you know, cut down of what their roster is going to look like. So they brought cut down to 53 players on, I think it was Tuesday that they cut down to 53. So we'll take a look at the whole roster um, in a little bit, but obviously the biggest, the biggest news that everyone is talking about, and it's you know, rightfully so, it's been all over social media, is the Patriots' decision uh, to release Cam Newton and go with Mac Jones as their starter. And I'll be honest, like, I think first, my first reaction to hearing that was I was shocked. You know, I think that based on everything that we had seen and we had heard, you know, we really had no reason to expect that, um, no reason to think that Cam Newton was not going to be the starter. You know, I think that a lot of us expected that, okay, you know, Belichick's going to go through his normal thing that, you know, either say Cam's our starter or, you know, say something like, oh, we're, you know, evaluating the position, which, you know, had some people thinking that maybe this is going to be an actual decision. You know, I think a lot of us expected that, okay, you know, there's no reason that you're going to start a rookie, you know, having a, a veteran quarterback like Cam Newton who's been around. And I understand, yes, he had a tough season last season. I think that that's established. You know, I think that obviously having a bout with COVID hurt him. But I also think that, you know, he kind of just wore down later in the season and really kind of wasn't the same player that he was earlier in the season. I think that obviously you can make arguments for the fact that he really didn't play with a lot of talent around him last year. And you know, you look at some of the guys they brought in in March and free agency, you know, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Kendrick Bourne, Aguilar, you know, those are four guys that really are going to change this offense this year. And so I think that, you know, the thought was that, okay, Cam comes back and he has a a decent bounce back year. But, um, you know, obviously this was kind of a surprise. You know, I figured that based on the way that Mac Jones has played, you know, he really looks like he is comfortable playing the quarterback position and I know that he's looked comfortable it's training camp in preseason it's not the same thing as you know a high stakes regular season game you know which the Patriots are going to have a couple of high stakes games in the first couple weeks of the season we'll take a look at the schedule um, in a little bit but you know it definitely is a risk I will say that you know I think that um, the Patriots clearly have confidence in Mac Jones and you know, are going to make a decision that gives them gives them a be- the best chance to win. You know, and I think we talked about this last week that, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, whatever it is, the Patriots are going to make the best decision that they believe, you know, puts them in the best, best position to win. You know, and I think that it should be a goal for this team to get back to the playoffs. And, you know, if the team recognizes that, okay, a quarterback like Mac Jones, who's played really well and has developed a really solid rapport with a number of offensive players – you know, maybe this is the guy that we that they think can get them back to the playoffs and feel like he gives them a better chance than bringing Cam Newton back. Um, so I think in terms of his release and in terms of maybe the reasons why, um, I have a theory that maybe Cam Newton did request 
to be released because perhaps maybe he saw the writing on the wall and thought that okay the patriots are probably going to go in the direction of starting of starting mac and you know maybe his thought process was i didn't want to be a backup so i don't want to you know stick around here and you know the patriots probably definitely obvious you know obviously granted that request you know if that's if that's what happened um, to try to see if Cam could find another job as a starter or a backup. So that's kind of the theory that I'm going with. You know, obviously, I think that based on what the Patriots have said, you know, they really raved about what Mac Jones was able to do this summer and really put himself in the position to, you know, be the starting quarterback. And I think that it would be different if, you know, he has a poor training camp or has a poor preseason you know, and people are like, okay, this kid clearly is not ready, but it's like, you could really tell that in, in the, the, the joint practice sessions, you know, there's some, there are a lot of things on Twitter that I don't know if we were paying attention to. And I think that we talked about this last week that, um, it was very clear that Mac Jones was, you know, confident, very comfortable with himself and, you know, led, led you to believe that, okay, if this kid is given an opportunity, he's really going to grasp it. And so I think he really did an excellent job in camp and, you know, gave the Patriots reason to believe that, okay, we're comfortable giving you the reins, you know, because it could have been different. He could have struggled and the Patriots could have stuck with Cam Newton and, you know, he probably would be the starter. So, you know, I think in terms of what the offense can do, I think Mac Jones is clearly, you know, much more of a pocket passer and, you know, relies a lot more on, on the timing. And I think that works well with the offense. Um, I think getting into the play action, getting someone who can, you know, throw consistent deep balls with accuracy, I think is huge. Um, I think that, you know, yes, the team is definitely going to lose a little bit of that added element of a quarterback running down in the goal line. But I think that, you know, considering the offensive line that they have, everyone's back. They have a really good group of running backs, you know, and now they have tight ends that they can throw to, you know, it really seems like it's much more different element for the offense than it had last year that, you know, you almost needed to have a Cam Newton at quarterback because how else were you going to get the ball in the end zone? So, you know, I think kind of going back to the decision, I think the way that Mac, you know, played and carried himself the whole summer really has a lot to do with this decision that the Patriots were comfortable making the decision. I just, I guess I just was surprised. I just never thought that, you know, Bill was going to make a decision like that. And so I think definitely that played into it. You know, I think there's a possibility that Cam could have requested to be released. As much as Bill Belichick said that the vaccination status didn't play into it, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of, it's kind of impossible to say that. I feel like it had an effect, you know, it probably doesn't have an eff- the effect that we think, you know, it's probably not like, oh, I, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't want a quarterback who's unvaccinated, you know, I think it's more like it played into the decision, you know, I think that Cam Newton definitely being out those days and Mac Jones being in, you know, definitely gave him an opportunity to, you know, show the coaching staff what he had learned all summer and then go into the the joint practices. So I think, you know, it was more the fact that Cam wasn't there. It wasn't necessarily, oh, that he had COVID. You know, I think it was more his absence on those days. Um, 
And I think, you know, honestly, most of this decision probably is more based on Mac Jones excelling than anything that Cam Newton did wrong. You know, sure, if Cam Newton didn't miss those five days, maybe it would be different. But I also think that Mac Jones really impressed the coaching staff and, you know, did a lot of things that lead them to believe that he can, you know, lead the team and, you know, possibly lead this team back to the playoffs. So, you know, it's a pretty big decision, but I'm excited. I'm glad the Patriots, you know, were able to make a decision with the idea that it gives them the best chance to win because that's what I think this does. Um, Cam definitely had his issues with accuracy last season, and I think, you know, getting a pocket passer, a guy who's really accurate and putting the ball where only his receiver can get it, you know, I think is really going to help this offense this season. So I think that it's it's a big decision, it's a big risk, but I think that it definitely, if it pays off, this team's going to be really, really good. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that we also need to prepare for that, that, you know, Mac looks really good in the training camp in the preseason, but when the games come around, maybe he struggles, you know, and I think people need to be ready for that and not already, you know, crowning this kid as like the next thing. It's like, it doesn't always work with everyone. You know, sometimes there are growing pains. And I think that we need to, as Patriots fans, we need to prepare ourselves to be prepared if Mac Jones struggles and it takes him a little bit. And we, I know that there are going to be games that he struggles in. There's no way that he's going to play, you know, all 17 games and is going to play like rookie of the year MVP level. But I think that the Patriots have surrounded him with good talent and are not going to put him in a position where he has to, you know, be the sole reason that they win or lose. You know, I think obviously he'll be a part of it, but I think it's getting the ball quickly, getting the ball out quickly to your receivers, you know, letting the running game kind of do its work and not forcing Mac Jones to throw, you know, 30, 35 passes a game. Because if that happens, I don't think that that's going to be a positive outcome for them down the road. So, I really think it's it's obviously it's a risk, but I think that the Patriots are are well well prepared for this. Um, so after talking about the quarterback, I think it makes sense to get to the rest of the roster and go down the line of you know what the fifty three man roster looks like at the official at at like the initial cutdown day. So it is worth noting that there could be a couple guys that go on short term IR. And the Patriots bring on some people from the practice squad, you know, in place of those players. So I think it makes sense to start with quarterback. Mac Jones, obviously the starter. Um, we will go through all the practice squad members. Um, you know, we might mention them now because it makes sense. The Patriots, yes, have one quarterback on the active roster. but do have two on the uh, practice squad. Brian Hoyer is back. And then the Patriots signed Garrett Gilbert. Um, who was a backup with the Cowboys, I believe, had been a practice squad member of the Patriots many years ago. Um, so he is back. And then the Patriots also, the other day, claiming Malcolm Perry off waivers. He had played for the Dolphins last season, was the former quarterback at Navy. Um, so he is currently on the active roster, is not listed as a quarterback. I'm not sure actually what he's listed as. I think it might be wide receiver. Um, but he is on the active roster. Harvey Longy was... I think released, but it seems like he will be picked back up, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but I think that's what you're looking at for quarterback. Mac Jones is the active one on the roster. Uh, running backs at the moment, 
is Damian Harris, James White, J.J. Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, Brandon Bolden is also on here, as is Jakob Johnson. So the thing with Jakob Johnson is I believe he has a his roster spot is like an exemption or something. So it doesn't he doesn't count against the active roster. I think it's something like that. Um, and so that's kind of the running back group. Um, and it's a pretty solid group. You know, I think you have Damian Harris who's probably going to be your number one. Um, Stevenson who's probably going to get some goal line carries. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and then you got J.J. Taylor and then you got James White, you know, the pass catching third down guy. So I think that it's a good, it's a solid, good group. You know, Johnson's been around. Brandon Bolden obviously has been around the organization um, and most likely will probably be used on special teams. And now taking a look at the tight ends, the Patriots are carrying three on the active roster. Johnu Smith, Hunter Henry, and Devin Asiasi. Dalton Keene, I believe, is on the season-ending IR, so he probably will not play at all this season. Um, but... You know, liked what Asiasi did in the Giants preseason game. You know, obviously Henry, we have not seen in game action um, thanks to his injury, but uh, probably should be okay to go for the opener. And then Johnny Smith, obviously, so no surprises really with the tight ends. Uh, with the wide receivers, um, it is worth noting that Nikhil Harry is on the active roster, but he will start the season on IR. Um, and so the Patriots will bring someone up from the practice squad. Uh, to replace that roster spot. So um, at the moment, you know, Harry's on the roster. You have Aguilar, you have Kendrick Bourne, you have Jacoby Myers, and you have Gunnar Olszewski. Um, and then Matthew Slater is listed as a wide receiver, but obviously he's not someone that's going to play the position. So the Patriots do um, start out with a decent group of receivers. You know, Jacoby Myers obviously had a strong year. You bring in Bourne and Aguilar, who are two, you know, decent NFL veteran players that kind of understand what they need to do. And then Olszewski, I think, is a good roster player to have, you know, although he kind of left a little bit to be desired at wide receiver at times in the preseason, but obviously an all-pro returner, so he will be back in that position most likely. Um, and then with the offensive line, at uh, going down the line from left tackle to right tackle, you have Isaiah Wynn at left tackle, Micah Wenu at left guard, David Andrews at center, Shaq Mason at right guard, and Trent Brown at right tackle, and then the Patriots have uh, four extra offensive linemen, Justin Heron, Yadni Kajust, and Ted Karras. And then the Patriots also traded for Yasir Durant, who last played for the Chiefs, the Patriots getting him for a draft pick. So he is another offensive lineman that's been added to the uh, active roster. So now looking at defense, looking at defensive line, Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Christian Barmore, Devon Godshaw, Carl Davis, Henry Anderson, and Chase Winovich. Um, you know, Winovich probably will be used as kind of a hybrid, I would guess, but no surprises here, I think, with the defensive line. You know, I think that this front seven, and we'll talk about the linebackers in a second, this front seven is going to be really, really strong. So I think that that's going to be kind of a point of emphasis that the Patriots are going to be a lot better in this, are um, going to be a lot better in this area. So for the linebackers, the Patriots carrying Matt Judon, Ronnie Perkins, Dante Hightower, Jawan Bentley, Kyle Van Noy, Josh Uche, Brandon King, and Harvey Longy. So Anthony Jennings is the one name that you might notice that is not on here. He unfortunately had, will have to miss the season uh, with an injury. So he is on injured reserve. So it's unfortunate. You know, he was someone that I was looking forward to seeing him develop this season, but I think 
the Patriots are really deep at this position, which is good to see. So you get to see Perkins, the rookie out of Oklahoma, Josh Uche, who had a really strong preseason this second year, or second year or third year uh, defensive lineman from Michigan. So really excited to see what he can do. Um, and then obviously you got Van Noy back. Hightower is back after opting out last season. Uh, Matt Judon, obviously the big name linebacker Patriots signed from Baltimore. Um, and then going forward to looking at the cornerbacks, we'll take a look at the cornerbacks first, then go into the safeties. Uh, J.C. Jackson will start the season at left corner. Um, then Jalen Mills will most likely start the season at right. Stephon Gilmore obviously will miss the first six weeks of the season on the PUP list as he's still recovering from that torn quad. Obviously no news on the contract, but I wouldn't expect that that happens really anytime soon, You know, maybe when it gets closer to him returning. Uh, Jonathan Jones, Jawan Williams, and uh, Sean Wade, the Patriots traded for him, um, I think, in the middle of the podcast last week. So he's in the mix as well. So the Patriots carrying five cornerbacks at the moment. And then in terms of the safeties, Adrian Phillips, who had a really strong season, he is back. Devin McCourty's back. Kyle Duggar, uh, Cody Davis, and Justin Bethel, who most likely will play um, at special teams. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see him um, at cornerback or at safety at various points if the Patriots get uh, thin at that position. And then in terms of the special teams, really the kind of the big surprise here was that Quinn Nordine beat out Nick Folk for the uh, kicker job. So he will be the Patriots kicker on opening day, Jake Bailey, or opening day. Um, and then Jake Bailey, obviously back as the punter, Olszewski is the returners. Um, and then Joe Cardona is back as a long snapper. So that's the official 53-man roster. We're now going to take a look at the Patriots practice squad. So these players uh, will you know, can be brought up by the Patriots at various points. Um, Garrett Gilbert, obviously, as you mentioned, Brian Hoyer, both quarterbacks there. The Patriots carrying fullback Ben Mason, who played at Michigan uh, last season. So he is on the practice squad. Jelani Tavai, linebacker. Uh, so most of these guys are players the Patriots had, you know, cut and then brought back after they passed through waivers. So the Patriots bringing back Miles Bryant, Matt Lacoste, Christian Wilkerson, Trey Nixon, rookie wide receiver from UCF, D'Angelo Ross, Alex Redman, Bill Murray, Deshaun Bauer, Nick Folk, James Ferentz, and Will Sherman, also a first-round draft pick. So that's what the Patriots' um, practice squad will look like. There is a possibility they might add some players here and there. Um and then it is worth noting that for injured reserve, Nikhil Harry will most likely start the season on the injured reserve list. And so it's fully expected that it will be Harvey Longy that will um, take up that, that spot. Is a possibility the Patriots put a couple players in the short-term injured reserve and bring up a couple players from the practice squad. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots bring up uh, Wilkerson or Trey Nixon you know, as they're kind of thin a little bit at receiver, Wilkerson had a decent preseason. Uh, Trey Nixon didn't really get into much game action. So I think you'd likely see someone like Wilkerson. You know, Isaiah Zuber is someone that was not on the practice squad, which is a little unfortunate. He kind of seemed to do pretty well in some of his preseason games. So um, be curious to see what ends up with that. But that's kind of what we're looking at at the moment. Obviously, things can change. For the Patriots so um, we will get into looking at their schedule 
a little bit. But I think just before we do that, it's probably worth noting that me personally didn't have any surprises with, you know, the roster or the, the practice squad. You know, I think that it makes sense to have a couple quarterbacks. It made sense to get another one after um, Cam Newton was released. Um, obviously, with Jared Stidham on the PUP list, you kind of needed to pick up a third quarterback, you know, just in case. You know, I think it makes sense, especially in the times of COVID. You know, you really don't want to risk a Denver Broncos situation where everyone in the quarterback room gets it. So I think it makes sense to, you know, get a couple um, and just keep one on the active roster. We'll see, you know, what happens. I think Hoyer made sense to keep around. You know, Gilbert makes sense to keep around. You know, not expecting either of them are going to play, you know, unless there's an injury. Um, but I think the Patriots did a really good job with the practice squad, you know, putting it, filling it with mostly players that they know, a couple players from here and there. Um, I think Malcolm Perry may unofficially be on the practice squad um, at the moment, but then probably will be put on the active roster. Um, he was a name that I did not see in the depth chart, but I fully expect that he will be added at some point. So taking a look at the schedule, you know, I mentioned a couple of pretty important games for the Patriots in the first couple of weeks. I think that obviously week one against the Dolphins is really going to kind of set the tone for the season because I think the Dolphins are a team that, you know, are, are on the rise and are really looking for kind of an opening week statement. Um, but I think that there's, you know, could be a lot of pressure for the Patriots in this game. You know, usually they do well. In the home openers, they beat the Dolphins in the home opener last year. But, you know, this is not going to be an easy game. But I think for the division, it's a really important game. Patriots playing within the division in the first two games, playing the Dolphins at home. Um, and then they will play the Jets in Week 2 in New York. And then they will have home games against the Saints and then the Buccaneers the first weekend in October. So that obviously will be a really huge game for the Patriots. But I think that... You know, looking at the quality of teams, you know, I think if the Patriots play the way that we expect them to, there's no reason to not expect that they don't come out of the first four games with at least a record of two and two, you know, if not three and one. Um, I don't expect that they beat Tampa Bay, but I think that that could be a really important kind of measuring stick type game to see where the Patriots match up and the rest with the rest of the NFL. Um, but yeah, you know, as I mentioned, two key AFC East games. You know, I think the Jets are a team that could possibly be on the rise. You know, I think a lot depends on Zach Wilson and how well he does. Um, then the Dolphins, you know, always a good aggressive defense. You know, it's always a storyline with Brian Flores coming back to coach against the Patriots. So I think that there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of adjustments in this game. The Dolphins obviously will start to a Tagovailoa, who obviously... Um, was uh, the quarterback at Alabama when Mac Jones is waiting for his turn. So that obviously will be an interesting storyline in week one. Um, and then obviously the Jets game will be interesting. Two first-round quarterbacks with Wilson and Jones. And then the Patriots playing um, a Saints team that's without Drew Brees, but they're still very talented. And then obviously uh, Tom Brady making his return to Gillette Stadium with the Buccaneers. So I think it made sense just to go through the first four games um, in September, and then we probably will take a closer look at the schedule next week when we do a full-on NFL preview. Um, just to quickly look at the rest of the games, Week 6, the Patriots host the Cowboys, which should be a pretty interesting game. The Patriots will play Cleveland at home in Week 10, 
November 14th. That's going to be kind of a key game. And then the Patriots, you know, don't play the Bills until week 13, but they play them again in week 16. So those games will be very key in determining the winner of the division. Week 12, the Patriots will play the Titans at home. That will be a key game. Um, and then week 17, the second to last game of the season, the Patriots will welcome Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars to Gillette at 1 o'clock. And then week 18, the Patriots' final game will be in Miami. So I think it makes sense for us to maybe do a, a record prediction official one um, next week, kind of when we do a full-on NFL preview. But the Patriots, you know, 3-0 and in the preseason, really did pretty solid. You know, I think that in terms of this team, I think the only concern I really have is cornerback with the Patriots being a little bit thin without Stephon Gilmore. Um, but I think that it helped bringing in Sean Wade, you know, someone who's a talented player who, you know, knows the position, you know, is talented enough that he could have been a first-round pick last year, you know, had he declared for the draft. So I think that that helps. Um, but I think that that could be an area of concern for the Patriots the first couple games. I think specifically when they play a team like Tampa Bay or a team like Cleveland, you know, teams that really like to like to throw it a lot. Uh, but I would say other, you know, kind of otherwise looking at the Patriots schedule, it's really not a difficult schedule. You know, I think that there are a couple games that obviously are going to be tough, but most of those tough games are going to be at home. You know, really the Patriots don't have a lot of challenging opponents that they have to play um, away from Gillette. So I think that that's kind of a, a saving grace, if you will. Um, but we'll take a little closer look at their schedule to go through probably all the games, give you a, a record prediction, you know, next week when we do the NFL preview and give you guys thoughts on who's going to win the division and all that. Um, other notes from around the NFL, obviously we are a week away from the Cowboys and the Buccaneers opening up the season um, on Thursday night football at 8:20 in Tampa Bay. So that will be, Obviously an interesting game. Um, Tyron Matthew, it sounded like, tested positive this morning. Um, the um, Packers and Saints game in week one will be moved to Jacksonville um, after the, the hurricane in New Orleans. So I'm curious to see if the Saints will be able to get back to New Orleans at, at some point this season. Um, you know, it's just going to be a really exciting season. You know, I think that there are a lot of teams that I think are going to be better than they were last season, including the Patriots. And I think there could be some teams that um, could be in store for, for a disappointing season after, you know, really impressing last season. So um, we'll get more thoughts about the NFL next week. Uh, but without further ado, let's get to our interview with Trent Wright. What's up, everyone? Uh, welcome to our uh, interview for this week. Super pumped uh, to introduce my good friend, Trenton Wright. What's up, man? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Good to be here. Good to be here. It's great to have you, man. It's uh, way too long. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, for sure. Yeah. Hey. I'm glad glad to have you here, man. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Trenton is... Uh, what, what would be the best way to classify your position? Uh, I am an edge rusher. Edge rusher, okay, that's exactly so, what I was going to say. So, like, I, but I primarily play a lot of DN defensive end. Gotcha. So, Trenton is, uh, plays for Assumption College. Um, in is this, So, this is technically your grad year, right? Yeah. Gotcha. You know, the pandemic gave everyone 
everyone across the board in America another year eligible. Right. Uh, yes, last year was supposed to be my fifth year. Mm-hmm. But uh, since they gave it another year, this, this is technically my fifth year. And this is, this is your third season at Assumption, right? Yeah, getting getting play time. Yeah, I was there. I've been here for four seasons, but I didn't okay. play the first season. Yeah, transfer. Gotcha. Right. So, <laughs> we'll just we'll just go right into it. So, um, Trent, we've we've known each other for a number of years, and like football is such a big thing for you, and like it's one of those things that like you associate certain things with certain people, and like football is always something I've associated with you. So. You, you've been all over the place playing football from Natick, Bridgeton Academy, AIC, Assumption. So I guess just like maybe just see if you can describe your, your football journey to, to this point. Yeah, it's my football journey. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a long one, to say the least. <laughs> you know, uh, coming out of high school, I didn't really have the offers I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, and also my grades didn't help. So I, I went to prep school up in Bush Academy, North, like West Maine, Western Maine, you know, middle of nowhere, no girls locked in. You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to get an offer from American International College. I was in Springfield. And I went there my freshman year. You know, I got playing time as a freshman. That was pretty cool. But decided that is not where I, the area, the school I need to be at. Hmm. So then I, Transferred to Assumption College after that. I had to sit out a year because of the rule, transfer rule. I had to sit out while they proceeded to have the best season in program history. <laughs> and then I've just, since then, I've just been working my way up in the ranks. And then I was fortunate enough to work myself into a captain position today. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty amazing, man. Like, consider, like, all the different places that, that you've played at. Um just kind of, it's just, it's wild, man. Yeah. Not for real. So, so long journey, man. yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of like long journey, um, you know, football obviously means a lot to you and, you know, it's been crazy the last two years, you know, probably for you not being able to, you know, play in an actual game. So you guys have your first game this weekend, um, in Pennsylvania What's that going to feel like playing for the first time in, in almost two years? You know what? It's going to well, one. It's going to be feel. It's going to feel good. It's going to be first and foremost. It's definitely feel good to be out there in uniform, flying around full speed. But I think I'm not. I'm not worried about any of the rust because we kind of knocked out all that rust in in last spring because we were out there having spring practice when not, not a lot of teams were. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and then we got the with the rest of this fall too, which during our fall camp we had a good long fall camp. So I think I think we're ready. Go down there, Pennsylvania comes September fourth. Good, that's great. That's good to hear. It's like, you know, obviously it's it's a challenge for for anyone that's had to you know be be out for this long. But I guess that's great that you know you feel like there's not a whole lot of rust. You guys are able to get you know, some stuff in last spring or last spring and then, you know, uh, like this summer camp, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, the biggest thing is just a lot. We have a lot of uh, fifth and sixth year guys, about 13 total. Wow. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of guys that put their life on hold, myself included. 
mm-hmm. to play this last season of, of football. And so I think come September 4th, we play that first snap. It's going to mean a lot to us. Gonna really, yeah. we, we have a lot to leave on the field. Yeah. And that, I don't know, for me and, you know, people listening, that says a lot that, you know, the guys, including yourself, were, you know, wanting to stick around and, you know, play their, their last season of eligibility. I think it, it says a lot. So talking, talking about the team now, um, talking about you guys this season, um, I know you'd mentioned to me uh, earlier today that you felt like the team could be a very strong team. What, what would you say the team's um, biggest strengths are? Our biggest strength, I would say right now, is, is our sense of family. That we, have, you know? we, I think, more so than in a long time, in a couple of years, we are closer now than we have been in a long time. Hmm. And so we are, you know, people, teams always say play for each other, you know, play for the team next year. But I feel like I'm sensing something different. You know, we, everyone is legitimately doing that. We're legitimately buying into what's happening, you know. Doing all these other things, you know, mm-hmm. playing for one another, putting your heart out there. So I think that's, that's definitely one of our biggest strengths. And then our attention to detail. Like, we say it every day. We go over every day in practice, you know, make sure you finish through the line, make sure you start behind the line. It's that little things that can win or lose a game. We talk about, hey, I know you're a big Boston sports fan. We talk about that, that Chiefs playoff game uh, with the Brady was still in the New England. That dude lined up off offside. Could have went well for winning the game. So man, losing the game just like that. Yeah. So I think that's that's definitely one another one of our team's biggest strengths. That's good. Um, and then for for you individually, is there a part of your game that you'd like to improve upon this season? You know, yeah, there was there is. You know, there, I feel I've been making great strides. I would say my my run stopping. You know, this year I've been. I made the transition from being a boundary end, you know, which is, you know, the boundary, the technique, the more out of the fray, you know, mm-hmm. the less responsible I'm right now. I'm older, I'm, I'm a captain, I'm an older guy. Yeah. I moved to the field and gained a little more weight. Uh, so I've been really anchored down that field side, that strength of defense. So I think that's the game I need to work on, and that's the game I'm working on currently. Gotcha. So speaking of, speaking of being a captain, um, you know, obviously, it comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, is it, like, somewhat intimidating at all to be a team captain, like, knowing that you're the guy that's, like, or one of the guys that's setting an example for the rest of the team? I think, you know, there are times where it's, like, I even catch myself, like, you can't do the same as everyone else, you know? You can't act the same, you know. The things that things that other people might joke around and say, you can't really joke around because, you know, the wrong person hears it, all of a sudden, oh, captain of the assumption, whatever, is this, this, says this, you know. So I think I find myself catching on. I've been getting good at that. And also, like, yeah, you got to be, you got to be able to be able to lead it for these guys, you know. Mm-hmm. You guys, we have a bunch of 20, what, the oldest dudes on the team is 24, 25, to 17 year olds mm-hmm. looking at you to lead them in a battle, lead them in a war. And, you know, I think my biggest thing is finding out what type of captain I am, you know? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, there are the rah rah guys, you know, they're the two 
lead by example, you know, just don't mess anything up. Show mm-hmm. it. I think one of my biggest ways I like to lead is just being a teacher, teaching everyone the, the right, right way to go about things, whether it's in the classroom, on the field, in a particular drill, mm-hmm. is how you should conduct yourself by being at a central college. Gotcha. Um, so talking kind of a little bit about um, assumption football, um, you have a, a former teammate, Deontay Harris, that is making uh, quite an impact in the NFL. Um, oh, yeah. Had a pretty solid, pretty solid year last year with with the Saints. So, I guess my question is like seeing seeing him, seeing a person like him, you know, from Assumption making an impact in the NFL. What what does that mean to to you specifically as like a former teammate? And then what does it mean for the entire program? I think, well, one thing, a couple, a couple answer that question. What, for me personally, it lets me know that if you can play, you can play. They're going to find you. You're gonna, they're going to give you a chance. You're going to get an opportunity. And what you do with the opportunity is up to you. You know, Deontay was given an opportunity because he's an amazing football he played here, and he put it and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Made the most out of it. Look where he's laying right now. And so that, that's the really the biggest thing, but I for me, but as far as the program, man, we're, we're kind of we're kind of known as special teams you in the in the D two in the D two uh, the D two uh, league right now. Mm-hmm. We have kids coming from all over, kickers, punters, long snappers, just to be a part of the special teams. We are consistently. That's how that's how Deontay made his living off the turn of kicks right here. He has the NCAA record for across all divisions and. People will know assumption as that special team, the team that really cares about special teams, that can get them to that next level. So I, I think that's what uh, that's what he, uh, he's doing for our program, and he's really putting on the map. And I'm I'm embarrassed to say there was um, there there was a kicker that kicked for you guys a number of years ago that like kicked at LSU, and I'm his name is escaping me. So Tracy, another special team. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Elite, man. This, he's built us out of more games than I can count. Wow, yeah. That's um, that's pretty amazing, you know, with the special teams thing, because I think that, you know, in the NFL with so many teams, there's always a place for guys who can do that. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's ironic, this being a Boston sports podcast, you know, I talk about the Patriots all the time. They're a team that, you know, really emphasizes special teams and, sure. you know, makes it a focus. You know, you go down the list of all the guys that have been unbelievable, you know, all pro special teams guys who let a guy like Matthew Slater, you know, there's always a, always a place for those guys. Oh yeah. So we've, we've covered quite a bit. So, um, my last question I wanted to ask, and this is, you know, probably a lot, but, um, you know, when you finally walk off the field at the end of the season, and you think about your whole football journey from, you know, high school to, um, you know, playing at Bridgeton to playing in college. What, what do you, what do you want your legacy to be with with the game? My legacy, I would say, there's two. There's a personal goal, and there's a team goal for me. My personal goal is to, you know, like you said, I've spent a lot of years here, spent a lot of years in the game. My personal goal is it's all American. I'm not I'm not selling for anything else. You know? That is that is the goal, the personal goal for me. 
stars and team goals, more importantly. Man, when I came in here, like I said, I transferred in here. I had to sit out. I wasn't allowed to play. We proceeded to have the best year in program history, going to 11 and 2, going to Elite 8. Since then, we have not, We've, I think we've had the same talent, but have not been able to reach the, the same height. So we have a saying on our team, leave it better than how you found it. And we talk, we say that as, you know, we have to be the leaders on the team. We come into, we see, we come into the dining hall, the table's dirty. There's some extra plates there. We'll take them back, you know, even even if they're not ours. You know, leave it better how you found it. That's what I want to do with this program. I want to. I want this season to be better than that season that I came coming in. I want to lead truly and lead this place better than I found it. Because one, provided me with a crazy amount of opportunity. Just to excel as a player and as a man and as a student. So that would be my legacy for this thing. Leading this team to the heights never reached before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to say it's been – you know, really special to, to follow you at, at Assumption, you know, make it out to one of your games two years ago. And, you know, um, it's just, it's been a pleasure to be able to, you know, follow your football journey. You better believe I'll be, you know, watching some games uh, online this year. Um, and, you know, maybe you guys will allow fans at some point later in the season. As of now, they're not allowing it to October. So October, you know, yeah. I, hit me up. I got you with all the tickets you need. Well, yeah, you guys can, um, you know, check out the um, Assumption football team. They'll have some games that you can watch, you guys can watch online. So uh, definitely feel free to do that. Yeah, we, we stream. If you are not able to make it, we stream all of our home games. Good to know. Yeah, I'll definitely be doing that. Well, uh, thanks, Trent, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And let's. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah, let's definitely do this again sometime. All right, man. Good talking to you. All right, guys. Uh, We'll be back talking some more podcast uh, later. Take care, guys. All right. Well, thanks again for um, thanks again to Trent Wright for uh, coming on the pod this week. Is good good conversation with him. So um, again, you can check out the um, Assumption football team online as they stream uh, their home games. They do start their season this weekend against Cutstown, Pennsylvania. So that's where they will be playing, but you can catch uh, their home games that they stream live. You can catch Trenton. Um, and yeah, I think that that lets us uh, go into baseballs. We'll, you know, leave the football thing. Figured the football interview made sense to what after football. Um, so we'll get into baseball, talk a little bit about the Red Sox. Um, obviously, things have not been going super well with the Red Sox the last couple of days. Um, they did seemingly have a somewhat decent stretch of play as they you know, won three straight games after the last podcast, but they uh, managed to lose their last three. They did win uh, last night, so did not lose their last three, but they've lost three out of their last four. Um, and obviously um, COVID has hit the team pretty hard, and it's uh, kind of unfortunate that um, it's happened at such a kind of really important time for the team. You know, I think they're still holding on to a playoff position, but it's um, not pretty with the amount of Red Sox that have been affected by COVID. I believe it's seven players and a couple members of the staff. So 
The Red Sox obviously been very shorthanded. They were able to get a win last night, which was huge. Uh, Chris Sale did pitch six innings, pitched pretty solid, and the Red Sox get the go-ahead run in the ninth inning. Ottavino pitches the ninth for the save. So we'll take a look at the standings in a moment, but it's just unfortunate that the Red Sox are you know, in this position having to put a number of key players on the COVID list, Kike Hernandez and Xander Bogarts, you know, two kind of major players. Matt Barnes is also on there. Uh, Sawamura as well. So it kind of just has come at a really bad time for the Red Sox as they are really, you know, struggling to put wins together, put, you know, cons- consistent play together. You know, it seemed like the Red Sox maybe had turned a corner with winning five out of six, you know, against Minnesota and Cleveland, um, and then lose that really tough game on Sunday in Cleveland, you know, in which the bullpen just kind of imploded. And then the Red Sox were pretty much out of the last two games in Tampa Bay, really had no chance to win either of those. But a good win for them last night, you know, hopefully they can salvage a series split. You know, I think that, you know, looking at this road trip, obviously it's gone from bad to worse because you've had so many guys who've been um, affected with COVID. But the Red Sox are kind of, you know, treading water a little bit you know three and three on the road trip this will be the last one and then they'll be home for a little bit but you know the Red Sox really are hoping that they can you know get right within the next week or so and get guys back from the COVID list but it's really um it's you know not not pretty right now and I think you know the other part of this is the Red Sox are one of six teams in baseball that have not reached the required 85 percent you know vaccination threshold you know, to let, to allow teams to relax, you know, protocols. And it's just kind of unfortunate that that's happened. And the Red Sox now, you know, have a pretty serious, pretty serious outbreak that, you know, is affecting them at a really key time. You know, there's about a month or so to play in the season. And, you know, it it could not have come at a worse time, you know, with the team kind of struggling to, to string wins together and get any kind of consistent play together. Um, you know, starting pitching has been, has been all right. You know, I think for the most part, they've been able to get some solid starting pitching for the most part, but the bullpen struggling, the offense really cannot do anything consistently with runners in scoring position. It wasn't pretty important win last night. Um, but I think that obviously it's continuing just to be really difficult for this team. And I think that, you know, yes, it's easy to say that, yes, the, it's been a, you know, collapse or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I think that it's the Red Sox should consider themselves very lucky that they're still in, you know, a playoff position, not really in position to win the division, but, you know, are in the position to potentially be a wild card team. So I think that, you know, clearly this team is capable of picking it back up. But I think a lot of it has to do with getting guys back from the COVID list, because I think if guys have to miss a significant amount of time, that's going to create a really big problem, you know, losing a player like Kike Hernandez for, you know, probably a week, he probably won't be able to return until, you know, Saturday or Sunday this weekend. You know, he's been a really key part of your team. And obviously, you know, Bogarts has been one of your best players this whole season. So, you know, it really is tough when you have guys like that who are out and there are guys that have to pick up the slack. So, um, Obviously, Tampa Bay has been red hot, and the Red Sox are really just kind of lagging behind them. So I think the division totally is out of the question. We'll take a look at the standings um, in a little bit. But I think, 
the biggest thing for them is just to remain above water and just kind of treading and, you know, seeing if they can get some, some home games and maybe that can get their momentum going um, a little bit. But it's just, uh, it's been a really tough last couple of weeks for the Red Sox, really, ever since the beginning of July that they were, you know, in first place. And now they're in third and kind of battling for their playoff lives. So the Red Sox, with their final game in Tampa Bay, uh, this series tonight at 7-10. Chris Sale obviously pitched last night and honestly has looked pretty solid in his, you know, outings. Obviously, he's not been, you know, a Cy Young pitcher the whole time. You know, he's not been, like, amazing, but he's been pretty solid. So that at least is something to, you know, feel good about that Sale's, you know, 3-0 and and pitched six innings last night. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez will pitch tonight as the Red Sox try to salvage a split in Tampa Bay. The Red Sox obviously sit 76 and 59. Um, taking a look at what the Red Sox have been able to do, you know, offensively, it's kind of continued to be a little bit of a problem for guys hitting in scoring position. Um, JD Martinez has kind of gotten back on track a little bit. Um, you know, Hunter Renfro's had a really solid year. You know, Dahlbeck's been absolutely killing it recently. He's up to 18 home runs. Um, his average is up to 238, which isn't that good. But he was a guy who was struggling, uh, you know, kind of around 200 almost all season. Um, so he's been playing really well. Um, and speaking of guys playing really well, Kyle Schwarber has been very solid for the Red Sox, you know, since coming off the, the injured list. has played 16 games with the Red Sox, has hit three home runs, is hitting 333, has... Um, 18 hits in 54 at-bats is really um, hitting really well and has played really well ever since coming to the Red Sox, mostly playing DH. I don't know if he's played first base yet. Um, obviously, he came to the Red Sox playing, you know, the outfield in Washington. Um, but I think it would be curious to see, you know, what the plan is for him beyond this season. If you know, the Red Sox are going to sign him, you know, what the deal is going to be. Um, because clearly he's been a big important part of their offense and it's been a big reason why you know they've been able to remain you know kind of above water and not you know go totally nosedive you know I know some people would argue that they've been in a nosedive for a couple of weeks you know but I think he's kind of one of the reasons that they've not totally gone you know belly up and totally out of the wild card race um, obviously it's not ideal it's a lot closer than I think a lot of us want it to be but you know, I think it's it's going to be what it's going to be, and I think that this team just needs to get healthy and you know get hot again, and maybe it'll be okay. But um, it's at least a good sign that Kyle Schwarber is hitting a little bit better or, or hitting well. You know, has done incredibly well since joining joining the team. It's too bad that he couldn't join the Red Sox right after the deadline, but obviously he was still rehabbing from the uh, hamstring injury. So taking a look at the starting pitching. You know, Nathan Nivaldi has had a really tough time the last couple of starts. You know, Nick Pavetta um, has been all right. You know, no one's really been a standout pitcher, you know, other than Chris Sale, uh, which is not really too much of a surprise, but the Red Sox really need to start getting more quality innings and more quality outings from their top guys um, because you're not going to do really anything in the playoffs if you can't get, you know, good, consistent starting pitching. You know, and the bullpen has kind of been, really, you have no idea what to expect. You know, really, Ottavino's been been 
pretty solid, I would say. And then Garrett Whitlock has also been solid. But with everyone else, the way that it's gone the last couple of weeks, you really don't know what to expect. So um, it's definitely not a good thing. Um, because I think, you know, you had a bullpen earlier in the year that I think was pitching really well and, you know, really seemed to be a strength, you know, and now it kind of seems to be a little bit of a weakness as there are certain guys that are struggling to get guys out and there are guys that are, you know, on the on the um, COVID list now. So it's um, really not great, but at least the Red Sox were able to get a win last night and see if they can possibly salvage this series against Tampa Bay who's been red hot. So taking a look at the Red Sox schedule for the upcoming week, the Red Sox will play three games against Cleveland at Fenway, and then Tampa Bay will come to Fenway. uh, Red Sox will play three against them, and then will travel to Chicago next weekend to play the White Sox, and then they will travel to Seattle to play the Mariners. So, you know, as we mentioned last week, really kind of the only thing for the Red Sox is they have a schedule the rest of the way that's not too terribly difficult um so i think that that's a, a good solid thing for them but you know obviously it's trying to stay above above water you know they're nine games out of first place you know which likely kind of puts them out of any type of hope of winning the division but i think they're still there in the wild card we'll take a look at the standings in just a moment um Taking a look around the rest of Major League Baseball, um, the Yankees obviously have been unbelievably hot recently. Um, and the Dodgers have retaken first place in the National League West over the Giants um, as we take a look at move and move into the standings. Um, obviously, Tampa Bay atop the American League East, seven games in front of the second place Yankees and then nine games in front of the Red Sox. So the Red Sox, you know, are not terribly far behind the Yankees. You know, there's still a possibility that the Red Sox could pass the Yankees for second place, you know, and almost guarantee themselves a spot in the wild card game. Um, then the Red Sox, obviously, 76 and 59, just two games back of the Yankees, nine games back of the Rays. The White Sox in first place in the Central. Uh, really have had no issues almost all season. They're 10 games in front of the Indi- of, of Cleveland at this moment. Uh, the Astros have a five-game lead over Oakland, who continue to slide. They've lost three or seven of their last 10. And they're the team currently that are chasing the Red Sox, but they've been having a tough time recently. Um, so the Red Sox currently in that second wildcard spot, two games up on the A's. Three and a half up on Seattle, four and a half up on Toronto, and the Yankees obviously lead that first wild card uh, by two games in front of the Red Sox. So certainly, I think that it's up for grabs that the Red Sox could, you know, pass the Yankees and get a home game. You know, I think that that would be the most important thing for them. You know, going into the playoffs, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for them trying to get a home game in that wild card round you know, before they have to probably play Tampa Bay in the first round. Um, Taking a look at the National League, Atlanta continues to be atop the division, although they've lost three in a row, and Philadelphia has won five in a row, and the Mets have won three in a row, so that division is becoming a little bit closer. The Phillies are two games back at first, and then the Mets are five games back. Obviously, the Mets were in the news a little bit uh, for 
some a kind of funny reason and then the not so funny reason with um with Zach Scott getting arrested for um DUI I'm honestly not really sure why I'm sharing that information it doesn't really need to be talked about um but the other thing was kind of interesting to see that um Javier Baez and some of the Mets players you know doing like a thumbs down thing when they get when they got a hit it was Kind of, it was very strange. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, but, uh, yeah, that whole situation was just very strange. I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Um, you know, certainly could get Eric Bellier's thoughts on that. Um, but the Mets are, you know, still somewhat in contention, I would say. You know, three straight games will take a look, take a look at the wild card standings. I wouldn't imagine that they're too close, but you know, five, five games out of the division is not insurmountable. Uh, taking a look at the National League Central, the Brewers, ten and a half games in first place ahead of Cincinnati. The Brewers are at eighty-two and fifty-two, and are uh, fast approaching that best record in the National League, um, as they have won four straight and seven out of ten in the West. The Dodgers obviously have overtaken the Giants for first place in the division. They've won three straight and seven out of ten, and the Giants have lost four straight. So the Giants just half a game out of first place. And then San Diego is 14 out of first place as they are in third. Um, and then the wild card standings, obviously the Giants are in front. And the Reds have a half game lead over the Padres for that second wild card. The Phillies and the Cardinals are two and a half back. And then the Mets are five and a half back in the wild cards. And the Mets actually are closer in the division than they are in the wild card. And so I think that probably does it for baseball do a quick look at the nba and the nhl there's not a whole lot of news um i would say there's probably more news in the nba ronda rajon rondo signing a deal with the lakers so he'll return to los angeles as he was a member of the championship winning team in the bubble so he will return to the cavalier or the lakers and the lakers definitely putting together a, a roster that is a uh, very interesting very kind of older um, it is, it is, it is fairly deep, you know, I'd be very interested to see how they do this season. Uh, definitely injuries were a big reason why they got bounced in the first round last year, last season. Um, but I think that, you know, it, a lot depends on health again this year. And I would say they're playing a little bit of a risk bringing in some older guys like Rondo, Dwight Howard, um, and Russell Westbrook, you know, a couple of those guys have had some, some injury issues in their careers. So, Really, time will tell with that Lakers team, um, and I think that the Nets are, are building up as well. Um, just some other news, the Cavaliers bringing in Taco Fall on a one-year non-guaranteed contract. So that was nice to see. You know, Taco kind of always gave his all with the Celtics, was very, very, uh, you know, very loved by the fans, you know, every time he got into a game. But it was good to see him getting, you know, a contract with another team, someone else giving him giving him a chance. You know, I think the Celtics did about as, as, as good as you can expect with a player like Taco is they really kind of were able to develop in, into kind of a, a part-time NBA player. And hopefully he gets more, you know, he continues to get an opportunity in Cleveland. Um, Kevin Love is not interested in getting a buyout with the Cavaliers, which is kind of interesting. The Cavaliers have uh, quite a bit of forwards on their roster or quite a number of forward, you know, center Types on the roster is Jared Allen signed a, I think, a five-year deal in the offseason. And then they just recently traded 
for Lowry Markinen, who used to play for the Bulls. Um, so they have the two of them. They have Kevin Love and now Taco Falls. So uh, quite, a, quite a number of, of interesting bigs on that team. Uh, the Hawks agreeing with Clint Capella on a new contract, getting two years for $46 million. So he will be in Atlanta the next couple seasons. Um, obviously, kind of the big news around the NBA right now is Ben Simmons. There's been a number of trade rumors or a number of teams that I think were rumored to have been you know, in the sweepstakes or whatever you want to call it. But it seems like a couple teams have pulled out um, the Kings and the Warriors, I think, amongst them. So there was a report the other day that Ben Simmons is interested in playing in California. You know, obviously the Warriors and the Kings, those are two California teams. But, um, you know, I don't know. Very curious to see what happens with that situation. You know, I think a lot of people are saying it's kind of a matter of when versus if, you know, that he'll definitely be dealt at some point before training camp starts. But, you know, training camp's only a couple weeks away. So you'd think that the Sixers are going to try to get this done. You know, it kind of doesn't sound great for the Sixers because I think at a certain point, you know, if there's not a lot of offers out there, you might take an offer that's not not what it should be. You know, that you might settle for an offer that is not really on par with what you want. But I also think, on the other hand, the Sixers, you know, based on some of the packages that, that have been rumored that they have asked for, it just kind of seems like there's a disconnect that they're asking for too much and ultimately might have to settle for too little. Um but yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think Simmons is a player who obviously has a unique skill set, is a very good, solid on-ball defender. You know, he's a very good defender. He's very good at getting to the basket, getting in transition. But obviously, you know, free throw shooting is an issue, you know, and his unwillingness to, to shoot the ball in big moments, you know, very similar, very much this... I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, you know, we could clearly see that in that game seven against Atlanta. You had a couple opportunities where he, you know, refused to put the ball up. And, um, you know, I don't know if that is the reason why, you know, he is wanting out. You know, it is interesting that it seems like he's the one who wants out. And the Sixers, you know, are looking to trade him, but I think looking to do that because he wants out, not necessarily because the Sixers want to trade him. So, be very interested to see where he ends up. You know, there's, I don't think that he ends up, or I don't think that he ends up staying in Philadelphia. I don't really see that happening. Uh, Minnesota has been a team that's been rumored to be interested as well. So I think there is a possibility there. Um, but I think other than that, you know, I think it's really just uh, whatever, whatever happens, you know, whatever the, the Sixers end up settling for. Um, so that's, probably it for the NBA. There's really no no Celtics news um, other than, you know, training camp will start in a couple of weeks. It probably will start closer to October. I actually believe that NHL training camp is closer than the NBA. So uh, we'll get to any more Celtics news as it comes in at various points. Um, we'll jump to the NHL. It is worth noting that uh, Joel Farabee and the Flyers just agreed to a new contract. Um for six years, so he's getting um, a good extension with the Flyers. Casey Middlestat getting a three-year deal with the Sabres, and Colton Pareko and the Blues agreeing to an eight-year extension um, last night, so he will be in St. Louis for the foreseeable future. Uh, Connor Murphy, defenseman for for Chicago, re-upping there for three seasons. And then the Islanders bringing in a couple of 
or not bringing in a couple of free agents, bringing in free agents that um, they wanted to bring back, Kyle Palmieri, Anthony Beauvillier, Casey Sezikis, and Elias Sorokin. So the Islanders bringing back all four of those guys from last season. Um, so it is... Oh, and then Riley Sheehan signed a one-year deal with the Kraken. Um, it is worth noting on NHL.com, they have put together a recent some recent articles of five questions for some teams. Um, so I think the Bruins had some questions yesterday. Um, the other kind of big news, big NHL news, is that he... The uh, Hurricanes offer sheeting uh, Yesberry Kokkaniemi, which was kind of interesting. That was kind of a kind of a um, like a like a revenge thing, I guess you could say. After the um, Canadians offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo a few years ago, so um, the Hurricanes offering Kokkaniemi six million dollars, which is you know, pretty high for him, you know, a player like that, $6.1 million for one year. Um, so I don't remember when that was, but that definitely that week is coming up. So the Canadians have a week to match that, or he will be um, a member of the Hurricanes. Um, so definitely you don't see a lot of offer sheeting, especially in the NHL. So um, that was definitely interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see if um, he ends up in Carolina um, so now getting to the five questions that NHL.com had for the Bruins. They've been doing this for each of the teams over the last over the last couple weeks or so. Um, so I feel like this would be an interesting thing for me to answer. You can go read the article on NHL.com. It's written by Emily Benjamin, who is an NHL.com staff writer. Um, So I will actually take a look at these questions um, and try to answer them the best I can. Um, So the first question is, how does the goaltending situation shake out? So um, obviously, Tukarask has made comments that he would like to return, you know, and like to return, you know, as a cheap goalie and, you know, to help this team. But uh, the Bruins will definitely start the season with Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark. I would say that, you know, Olmark probably is going to be the starter, I would I would think, um, you know, a guy with more NHL experience. But, you know, Swayman's no slouch either. Um, and I fully expect he gets a number of games. And, you know, then it'll be very interesting when, once Tuka Rask comes back. You know, I'd expect that Swayman gets sent down, you know, unless he plays really out of his mind and the Bruins can't ignore it. Um, but I think that the Bruins are honestly in good hands. You know, I know that it complicates things if Tuka comes back. But I really think, you know, if Tuca's coming back, it's really just going to be for this season. I really can't see him coming back beyond this season. Um, so I think in terms of contract for Tuca, that's probably not going to come until he gets closer to playing. It sounds like he's a couple weeks away from working out on the ice, which, you know, is a good sign. So then the next question is, who replaces David Krejci now? Um, Charlie Coyle kind of seems to be the most common answer that I think the Bruins have, have come up with. You know, Bruce Cassidy expects that Coyle will get, you know, the first looks at that second-line center position. You know, unfortunately, the Bruins don't really have any better options. I know that a lot of people are not confident in Coyle's, you know, ability based on his poor season last season. 
um, and just kind of based on his career that he's kind of never been counted on, you know, to be a legitimate number two center. So, you know, again, I don't really think they have any other options. I think the Bruins just have to hope that Charlie playing with a player like Taylor Hall, you know, can help elevate his game and giving him someone like Craig Smith, you know, who the two of them were kind of aligned to play with each other last season, but it didn't really end up that way. Um, it'll be curious to see, you know, what that looks like. You know, Jack Stednico will probably get some looks at that position as well in camp, but I guess I would have a hard time believing that he would beat out Coyle for that spot outright, but Stednico definitely will be, you know, seeing some time this season if it's in Boston or Providence. Um, and then third question is, where will the goals come from? Now, obviously, there don't, does not need to be concern about, you know, the Bruins' top line, but I think, you know, mentioning some of the guys I just mentioned, Taylor Hall is going to need to be, is going to need to have a good season. Craig Smith as well. You know, Jake DeBrusque, I think, with all the trade rumors and this and that, you know, I think it's going to be important for him to, you know, get off to a good start and score some goals. Um, Eric Hala, Bob Hala, obviously, is going to be someone that's going to be counted on to score a little bit. Uh, Nick Felino as well. You know, I think it's hard to expect the fourth line guys to score, you know, a lot of goals. You know, you kind of want to see some here and there. But I think most of the goal scoring, you're going to look to the second and the third line, you know, outside of the top line, you know, to kind of be your goal scorers. But it's uh, it's a lot. You know, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of pressure on certain guys. And so I think the Bruins really have to get off to a good start and be one of those teams that be one of those teams that can bury their opportunities. Um, and then the fourth question is who plays with Charlie McAvoy. Now that is a question that I'm most interested in. You know, I think that McAvoy and Grizzly are, are an outstanding pair together, but I also think that, you know, I also think that to allow kind of each of the pairs to, you know, do multiple, multiple things. Like, I think if you play Derek Forbert, for example, with Charlie McAvoy, I think that you are looking at, you know, kind of a deeper defense group because I think that if you put, you know, your top two defensemen arguably, you know, on, on the same pair, then you're kind of... I don't know, your, your other two pairs are not going to be as strong. And so I think if you go into the season doing something like playing Derek Forbert with McAvoy, Brandon Carlo playing with Mike Riley, and then Matt Grizzlick playing with Clifton, you know, I think that becomes a more difficult defensive group to play against. I kind of just think that, you know, again, the Bruins don't really have a lot of, you know, left shot defensemen that have come in and really kind of been difference makers, you know, within the organization. And so I think you're kind of forced to, they've kind of been forced to play McAvoy with Grizzly, but I also think it kind of limits what you can do with the other pairs. Um, and it's not a bad thing. Like, I think there are some people that I think, in my personal opinion, overreact when McAvoy and Grizzly are not a pair together. But I think it works similar to how I've kind of constantly been you know, shouting that the Bruins need to put, need to try putting David Pasternak on the second line with David Krejci. This was a couple of years ago to kind of make their, their lines more dangerous. But I think this is, it's a similar thing that I think by putting McAvoy and Grizzly together, you are not, 
being as versatile as you could possibly be with the other two pairs. And I think with Grizzly, with Connor Clifton, there becomes more of an opportunity to, you know, use those pairs in a multitude of different situations. Because I think if you're talking about Grizzly and McAvoy trying to play big minutes against big physical players, you know, it kind of becomes an issue, you know, and not to say that, you know, Grizzly's too small to play in the NHL. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that you look at McAvoy and you look at some of the players that he's matched up against, you know, he's always throwing the body. And I think it makes sense to add someone like Derek Forbert, who is also not afraid to throw the body, but also is a really solid defensive player. And I think then allows McAvoy to also be a really aggressive defenseman that can jump up in the play. And you have a guy like Forbert who's, you know, really smart defensively. So um, that is going to be interesting to see what happens. And then the final question um, is what happens to Jake DeBrusque? So I honestly think the time to trade him has passed. You know, I don't believe that the Bruins are going to be trading him anytime soon, you know, unless a perfect trade comes along and the Bruins absolutely cannot say no. But I think that you're going to see him start the season as the third line left wing and, you know, hope that him playing on his natural side, playing with some new guys, you know, might be what he needs to kind of ignite his game a little bit. You know, I think that he's really running out of time in terms of his time here. You know, I think that if he doesn't pick up, he would, if he doesn't pick it up, he could be traded at some point early in the season or possibly at the trade deadline, you know, with one year left on his contract. But I still think that there's reason to hope that he can pick it up again, you know, playing with Eric Halla and Nick Foligno, two guys that are very experienced NHL players, know exactly, you know, what it takes to be a pro and it might be exactly what Jake needs. So um, I wouldn't count him out too soon. You know, I could see him having a kind of a rebirth year, but then again, you know, where does that leave the Bruins and his next contract, you know, if they do indeed decide to keep him? You know, he's a guy that's had a really tough last two seasons or so, and I think that, you know, it's it's been a challenge for him. You know, he's been called out by the coaching staff and, you know, has been benched a lot, but I think that there's something about kind of new opportunities that might you know, be exactly what he needs in playing with, with some new line mates. So I'm curious to see what does happen with, with Jake DeBrusque this season. So that probably does it for the NHL and the Bruins. Obviously, as training camp gets closer, we'll give you guys more updates. Um, so now we will get to talking about college football. And um, week week one did technically start last weekend. There were a couple of games, but uh, no games between ranked teams. That will change this weekend. There are a number of games uh, tonight involving some top 25 teams. Uh, the Citadel plays against 22nd-ranked Coastal Carolina. That game is at 7 o'clock. Weber State will play against 24th-ranked Utah. That game is at 7.30. And then Southern Utah will play against 25th-ranked Arizona State. That game is at 10.30. And then North Carolina, they are 10th-ranked this season. They will play Virginia Tech on the road tomorrow night at six and then looking at some key games this weekend i'm very excited for a couple of these games uh penn state 19th ranked against 12th ranked wisconsin that game is in wisconsin that is a 12 o'clock start that will be an interesting start to the big 10 season um, alabama number one ranked going into week one will play 14th ranked miami that game will be in atlanta at 3:30, so that game might be worth watching 17th ranked Indiana, 18th ranked Iowa, another big game in the Big Ten. 
Um, Louisiana, 23rd ranked, playing against 21st ranked Texas. That game is at 4.30 on Saturday. And then the big one at 7.30 is Georgia against Clemson. That game is in Charlotte at 7.30. So that's kind of the biggest game of the weekend. You know, two top five teams that, you know, serious college football playoff implications um, in this game. And two teams that I think definitely are going to be in the hunt for, you know, a national championship this season. So that will be very exciting. Obviously, Clemson is uh, without Trevor Lawrence and... uh, Travis Etienne, but they're still going to be a really good, solid team. And then you have Georgia, who's always a, always a tough team to play against defensively. Very curious to see what this looks like with a, a neutral site game. Um, and then, and then there are a couple of games later in the weekend. Ninth ranked Notre Dame travels to Florida State to play at seven thirty on Sunday night. And then Louisville and Ole Miss will play in Atlanta on Labor Day. That will kind of be the the game, the kind of like game to close out week one. I think that uh, college game day will be in Charlotte on Saturday to preview Clemson and Georgia. So definitely uh, check out some of these games if you are interested in college football. Um, so before we get into soccer, we'll take a good look. We'll take a quick look at the WNBA as they are getting closer toward the end of the season. Some games tonight, Atlanta and Dallas playing at 8, Los Angeles and Minnesota playing at 8, Chicago, Las Vegas playing at 10, and then New York, Seattle at 10. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu against Seattle, the defending champs. So taking a look at the standings real quick, you still have Connecticut that uh, has the best record in the league at the moment. At 21-6, and six, they lead the Eastern Conference by seven games, so they have already clinched a playoff berth. Uh, Las Vegas, atop the West, they have clinched a playoff berth, as has Seattle, and then Phoenix has also clinched a playoff berth as well. So Connecticut's been kind of the class of the WNBA all season. They've kind of been start to finish the best team in the league, Las Vegas and Seattle, obviously. Two very strong teams that made the final finals last season. Um, so it should be a very interesting end of the season. And then as we get closer to the playoffs. So finally, we'll get to some soccer. Talk about the Revolution. Had a really tough game over the weekend. Um, losing to NYCFC is a really ugly game. I'll be honest, I've, I've not seen the Revolution play that bad in a couple of years. That was a really tough game. You know, obviously playing a Yankee Stadium with the the dimensions being different, you know, but it's still not an excuse. It really was a tough game to watch. The Revolution really couldn't do much offensively in this game, gave up a couple goals. Um, And I would say defensively, the Revolution sometimes have looked a little shaky, you know, so that's kind of the one thing that I think could become a problem later in the season and possibly in the playoffs. Um, but the good news is for the Revolution that Carlos Heel is close to returning. Did return to Foxborough a couple days ago. And I believe that he has a possibility of a chance to play tomorrow night um, when the Revolution play Philadelphia um, in Philly, I believe. Um, but the Revolution still on top of the uh, Eastern Conference standings by 14 points um, ahead of second place Orlando and Nashville. So... You know, it is just one loss, and I know that we shouldn't overreact to that. Uh, But the Revolution have done a really exceptional job this season 
of following up their losses um, and performing, you know, really well after losses and not letting, you know, the bad play kind of be a theme. Um, NYCFC, it is also worth noting that they are a good team. They're fourth place in the Eastern Conference at the moment, so it's not like they're um, a bad team that the Revolution struggled against. Uh, the Revolution do have a seven-point lead in the race for the Supporters' Shield, which is um, kind of the MLS's version of the President's Trophy in hockey, like the best regular season record, which you know is a pretty big deal. Um, but the Revolution hopefully getting Carlos Heel back at some point. Taking a look at their next couple games, obviously they're in Philly tomorrow night. And then the MLS does continue to play through the international break. It is it is worth noting. Um, I'm not sure why it's not showing me this. Oh, there you go. I was looking at something else. Um, so the Revolution will play uh, Philadelphia on Friday, and then they will host... NYCFC next weekend. The Revolution have have about have 11 games left in the regular season. Um, so hopefully Carlos Heel can return to, tomorrow uh, for the Revolution, who hope to get back on the winning track um, tomorrow in Philly. So that will be definitely a game to watch. You know, obviously Philadelphia and the Revolution played a number of times last season. The Union getting the most of the getting the best of the Revolution in most of those games, but then the Revs obviously beating them when it mattered most, you know, in the playoffs. So it will definitely be a high-stakes game. Hopefully Carlos Heel will return for the Revolution, um, and they can get back on track. It is worth noting that Matt Turner uh, will be playing for Team USA in the qualifiers. Um, it is worth noting he actually is starting tonight uh, for Team USA, um, as they open their World Cup qualifiers against El Salvador. So that seems a good segue into talking about the U.S. men's team that will begin World Cup qualifying tonight at 10 o'clock. This game is in in El Salvador for Team USA. So how the World Cup qualifying works is there are uh, seven teams, including the United States, that uh, will play 14 games, will play each team twice, and then after that, they will determine which teams make the World Cup. So the top three teams will qualify for the World Cup in Qatar um, next November. So it is worth noting that the season, or that the World Cup is not next summer. It's next late fall. <clears throat> because I think the summer months in Qatar get uh, way too hot that it's not possible to play soccer. So that's why the World, World Cup will be later in 2022. Um, so Team USA plays El Salvador tonight, then they will play Canada on Sunday, and then they will play Honduras next Wednesday. And so they will play three games in September, three in October, two in November, two in January, one in February, and then three in March. And then at the conclusion of these games, top three teams will go to the World Cup, and then the fourth place team, I think, will play in the Intercontinental Playoffs to determine... Um, if that team can get into the World Cup as well. Team USA is a lot more talented than they usually are, have a lot of good young talent. Uh, Christian Pulisic, obviously, you know, kind of the the biggest name on this roster. But, you know, Matt Turner had an incredible Gold Cup, will be back there for Team USA. And, you know, this is worth noting Pulisic will not play tonight as he is still working his fitness back after testing positive for COVID-19 a few weeks ago. 
uh, but he will be available Sunday when Team USA plays Canada and plays uh, Revolution forward uh, Tijan Buchanan. Should be fun to fun to see him playing for Canada. He did obviously uh, recently sign a deal to play in Belgium, so he will be playing in Belgium after the Revolution season. So hopefully the Revolution can you know do their best and uh, get a couple of trophies uh, this season before Tejan goes to Belgium. So I think you know obviously we'll mention this when the season's over, but definitely good luck to Tejan. You know, he's been a very fun and fun player to watch for the Revolution. He's had a great season, has had six goals. Um, but the Revolution, again, back in action tomorrow. Team USA in action tonight. So you can feel free to watch Team USA at 10 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. And then the Revolution will play on Channel 3 tomorrow night or play on um, My TV 38. It's Channel 503 on Verizon. Not all of us have Verizon, but... Um, yeah, it'll be worth worth watching the, the Revs to see if they can uh, get back to their winning ways. So that probably that probably does it for for me this week. Um, everyone enjoy the nice weather. It seems like we're getting some nicer weather and not you know the hot sweltering heat. Uh, but everyone enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you next week.